Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. And now back in making his fifth appearance with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Donnie Hammond. Let me remind you about Donnie's background. He was born in Frederick, uh, Maryland, which is in the northern part of Maryland near the Virginia and West Virginia lines. Played his college golf at Jacksonville University, where he was a four-year letterman. As a sophomore, he finished seventh in the 1977 Sun Belt Championship. And as a senior, he won it by six strokes. He would go on to lead Jacksonville University to two Sun Belt Conference Championships. He is a charter member of the Jacksonville University Sports Hall of Fame. Donnie earned his tour card by being a medalist at the 1982 PGA Tour Qualifying Tournament at TPC Sawgrass, winning that event by a record 14 strokes. Played on the PGA Tour from 1983 to 1998. He won twice on the regular tour at the 1986 Bob Hope Chrysler Classic and the 1989 Texas Open, where he came within one stroke of the all-time scoring record, having shot rounds of 65-64, 65-64 at Oak Hill. He went once on the, what was then the Buy.com Tour, which is now the Web.com Tour at the 2000 Lincoln Classic. And over the course of Donnie's career, he's had 46 top 10 finishes. He's made the cut 70% of the time that he's teed it up, and I'm honored to have him back with me again here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Donnie, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thank you, Chris. The fifth time, huh? Five times. How about that? Well, that's cool. Indeed <laughs> it is. So, Donnie, catch us up. What's been going on with you this summer? Oh, I started playing pretty good the last uh, two or three weeks. I've been doing the qualifiers on the champion score, and I just missed the last two events in playoffs, both in playoffs. Uh, Wisconsin shot uh, three under. And missed in a three-for-one playoff. Tommy Tolles got the spot. And then last week, I just missed in Minnesota. Uh, it was three-for-two spots. And I go and bogey the first hole for the second time that day. I bogeyed at the first hole in regulation and then bogeyed the playoff and just kind of let the guys get in the tournament and said, here you go. So that was a little <laughs> disappointing. But I played pretty good. I shot 67 and uh, had a good round, but just uh, getting close. So maybe I'll get in one. Uh, Got another one coming up this Tuesday up in uh, up in the old where the BC Open used to be up in Binghamton. So feeling pretty good, starting to hit it pretty good. So might get lucky next week, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, we're pulling hard for you. So is that is that the goal to kind of get you, you know get back out on the on the Champions Tour on a regular basis? Well, I think I may do the Tour School again, maybe one more year this year. You know, it starts toward the end of um, November, and then it's a two-stage qualifier for the Champions Tour. So I may give it one more go this year if I'm still playing good in a in another four weeks or so. We'll see. But it feels pretty good right now. Yeah, that's great news. So, uh, Donnie, I wanted to get your thoughts on what we saw a couple of weeks ago at the Open Championship from Jordan Spieth. There, there were some pretty big lows and, and highs for him over the course of that final round. We all know we started the day with a three-stroke lead, goes out bogey three, the first four holes, sort of giving that all away. When when we get to 13 and he hits perhaps, you know, the worst drive of his professional career, for you as a guy who's been in that arena, how do you how do you go from where he was off the 13th tee to holding the claret jug just a little while later? How do you reverse it like that? 
I tell you, there's been very few guys that can, you know, that can go through a shot like that and be in a situation that perilous. You know, it's just so awkward that you have to, you know, you have to take a drop, then you have to figure out where you're going to go. Now you're, you know, 230 yards away from the green. You can't even see the green because of the hill. There's thousands of people around you. You've just hit a terrible tee shot. And to be able to regroup like he did, uh, it's just not a lot of players, I don't think, that would be able to do that. Uh, you know, the thing that was so impressive was that he never had a look that he was going to lose that tournament. It was just, okay, where am I going to drop it? What's the line? Where are we going to hit it? And then, then he made that seven-footer for bogey. Uh, you know, it could have been a two-shot swing there, but that was, you know, he just never had that look like I've given it away yet. And a lot of guys would have would have felt like they were beaten at that point, but he he just hung in there, and that's that's kind of the player he he's become at such a young age, and it's uh, it was really remarkable to watch. I I really enjoyed watching that tournament. And and Donnie, and I thought it was a genius move just to have the presence of mind to ask if the driving range was in play. Is it is is that unheard of? I mean, I I I, that, I don't know that that would have crossed certainly wouldn't have crossed my mind. Is that something that, you know, tour players, you know, do you know that sort of stuff going in, what's inbounds, what's out of bounds, what, where my relief can come from and that sort of thing? Or was that something that, you know, wouldn't have occurred, wouldn't, would not have occurred to most guys to even ask yeah, that I don't question? Think, I don't think he, he probably didn't know that. He, he, you know, there probably wasn't something on the, you know, the local rules. You get a sheet every week that, that have the rules, but, you know, that was a situation where he had to go back on the line from where he took the drop straight back. So, I mean, he would have had to hit that 100 yards to the right to have the ball end up there. So there probably wasn't a, uh, a situation on the, on the vocal rules that mentioned the driving range. So he had to ask at the time and, um, you know, he had the wherewithal to be able to, to come up with that and go backwards. That's a lot of times the best thing to do when you take unplayable is go back and sometimes you may have to go back 60 or 80 yards uh, to be able to maybe clear a tree or shrubs or, you know, any number of things that are in your way. And, you know, he made the right call. He got it up in front of the green and was able to salvage a great bogey. So that was, that was pretty cool. So, you know, in your opinion, Donnie, that you mentioned the seven footer that he makes for bogey there on 13. Was that the stroke? Was that, if that putt doesn't go in, does that, is that does that probably cost him the golf tournament at that point? Was that a you know a, 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 an emotional lift, if you will? If you can get an emotional lift out of a bogey, was that one, was that a time that that happens? Yeah, I bet it, I, I bet it was because you know you remember the next shot he almost hold it from the par three, so uh, you make double there. Maybe you don't quite hit that shot as close as he did and pick up an easy birdie on the next hole. So uh, it's hard to tell whether he would have been able to pull it together if he made double there. So, but that was, that was a huge putt just to only lose one shot there. Where do you think that stretch of holes for him, that 14 through 17, the, the birdie Eagle birdie birdie run, you know, where, you know, where do you think that ranks in the history of golf? Because for me, it's, it's gotta be right up there with, with Jack Nicholas's run at the 86 Masters. Jack was better because of, of who he is and where he was at that stage of his career in the setting there at Augusta National. And you were right in the middle of all of that, oh, by the way. But for a finishing stretch of holes in a major championship, where, where does what Jordan did rank? 
I think it ranks right up, you know, at the top because of the adversity that he faced during the round. You know, a lot of guys have shot, you know, great rounds the last round, like Jack did at the Masters there, the 86. But that was just momentum all the way through the round. You know, it's hard to think of a situation where someone makes a double on like 13 or 14 and then is able to birdie the last three or four holes. Maybe Charles Schwartzel at the Masters that year, I think he birdied the last four holes uh, to win that tournament. But that was an excellent finish uh, to to come right up and, and, and steal that tournament really with four birdies. But it's hard to think of uh, a situation where someone's made a double or triple and then, you know, birdie or play five under the next five holes like Jordan did. That was, that was incredible turnaround. The, uh, the 92 open championship of Muirfield uh, was your best finish in, a, in an open. You ended up tied for a fifth, you had a great second round. You shot 65 in the second round. Faldo won that year, holding off John Cook by a stroke. But it was sort of similar to what we saw. Faldo had a four-stroke lead going into the final round, gave it all away, actually fell behind, I believe, by that two was. strokes with four holes to play. So That's you, were really kind of, you, you were in the middle of that. What do you remember about that Open Championship? I remember that John Cook was poised to win that tournament. I was trying to hang in there. I was... I had a, I had, I'd say I had a chance with nine holes to go. I thought maybe I needed to shoot a couple under, two or three under on the back. It was playing fairly tough too. The, the wind was kind of swirling a little bit. There was a decent wind out there, but Nick got behind and John Cook was, had hit the 17th green in two and ended up missing about a, maybe a three footer that I think would have at the time would have given him a two or three stroke lead. And then within, I think, three minutes of John missing that putt, Nick Faldo hits a five iron about two feet from the hole and birdies, I think, 14 or 15. And then then it was like a one-stroke difference. I think Cook was still up. And then, you know, Nick just hung in there and made another birdie. I think he birdied 17. I was standing right behind the green on 18 to watch uh, the finish because I wanted to see how this thing was going to, finish and Nick drove it right down the middle of the fairway and I think he hit three iron hit this towering three iron that hit pretty close to the hole and then rolled just to the back of the green about 30 feet and he you know rolled it down there about a foot and tapped it in to win and he had to par that um, that 18th hole to win the tournament it was it was just a great par because there were two fairway bunkers there that uh Kind of pretty close to the to the edge of the fairway. You had to drive it pretty straight on 18, hit two great shots, and just uh, won the tournament. It was pretty pretty impressive. And Donna, you played in in several PGA championships, tied for 11th and 86 at Inverness, and you were actually tied for fourth after after three rounds. That's the year Bob Tway chipped in from the bunker and and beat Greg Norman, who had a four stroke lead going into the final round, but shot 76 and lost by two. But what do you remember about that PGA? Oh, the PGA at Inverness. Right. That was uh, I played with Payne Stewart the last day. And it was a, it was a great little course. I stayed with a friend up there in Toledo. It was a, it was a beautiful little golf course too. Really well conditioned. And, uh, I really liked that golf course, but Payne had it in that front right bunker on 18 there and hold the shot for birdie. He got into the, I think he finished top 10 with that shot. 
and then we were in there, you know, just kind of getting cleaned up. We were getting ready to fly somewhere else. I think we were on the same flight, but uh, we're sitting there watching uh, Bob Tway's got the same shot, and Payne yells out, that's an easy shot. You can make that one. And then 30 seconds later, he holds it out, and it goes in, and we're just looking at each other like, wow, what a finish. But that was that was one of those tournaments that, um, you know, real disappointment for Greg that, um, you know, one of the three or four tournaments that had to be a real letdown for him that he was so close and, and wasn't, wasn't able to win, you know, one of the big ones again. Right. So, Donnie, as we look ahead to this week's PGA Championships or Championship, have you had a chance? Have you ever played out of Quail Hollow? Yeah, I played there a couple of years when it was in Wachovia. Great, great course, beautiful clubhouse. Uh, you know, Johnny's fantastic. The president of the club, just a such a great place to be for the week. And it's a it's a really good layout too. I haven't really noticed too many of the changes that uh, Mr. Fazio made, but I understand that the course is in fantastic shape this week, so players can look forward to that. When you look at, you know, the field, Rory has won there twice. He's also lost in a playoff there once to Ricky Fowler, finished tied for fourth in last year's event. Does, does having a level of success, Donnie, do you, do you, do you go in with a psychological edge over the rest of the field when you've had, you know, as, as much success on a golf course as Rory's had over, had there over the last several years? Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. I think, um, Quail Hollow is the kind of golf course set up for, you know, big hitters like Rory, like Dustin Johnson, like like about 70% of the tour these days, actually. You know, the Brooks Kepka, uh, guys that can bomb it out there, carry a few of the fairway bunkers. Um, you know, the, the pros that have had success there, like Ricky Fowler, uh, Rory, Phil Mickelson's had a lot of good rounds there. This could be a kind of an interesting week if Phil gets off to a good start. I wouldn't count him out on that golf course. He's had some great tournaments over the years and uh you never know what Phil's going to do so. But the you know like like Jordan was talking about, you know, Rory's might be the favorite and uh that would be a pretty good pick. He seems to be coming into pretty good form right now and and he's hitting it really solid with the driver and he's got a great history there. So if he gets off to a decent start, I think he'll be there toward the end of the tournament. And we know that you know Rory has just gone through a, a, a change with his caddy. How much how much does that impact you know a player out on tour, Donnie? When if you had to change you know caddies or you know guys you played with have changed caddies, how much of a disruption to a a normal round, a normalcy going into a golf tournament does that kind of shake up? Uh, sometimes you know sometimes it's a benefit for guys to get you know a little fresh uh, you know little fresh you know, change of perspective and, you know, you start, maybe you start thinking a little more for yourself than relying on your caddy, you know, to kind of help you pull the club. And, you know, players know how far they hit it. They know what they want to do with the putts. And sometimes, you know, that can help. So I don't think it would be a negative um, part of the game for Rory to come in with a, with a new caddy. I know a lot of times if you have a caddy that you're, you know, you feel like you, he's just hanging in there, that he's only got maybe a few weeks on the bag. Usually you don't play that great those last couple of weeks until you let him go. So, uh, it could be, a, could be a good thing for Rory to, um, 
have a fresh perspective here for the next couple of weeks. Donnie, when you look at the four majors, where, where does the PGA fit? You know, if you were to rank the four majors, I think, you know, we as fans, you know, we look at, you know, the history of the Masters and the mystique around that, and, and we think very highly of it. The U.S. Open is obviously our country's national championship. The Open Championship being, you know, the oldest and, you know, where the game was, you know, originated from. And then there's the PGA. Do you guys look at it, you know, in any ranked order? Does does the PGA come in fourth just because of, you know, the, the nostalgia and the championships that the others represent? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a solid fourth, uh, Chris. It's right there. It's the fourth one of the year, and it's kind of hard to go up against the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the Open. Um, but you know, it's the it's the one that's the most similar to PGA Tour events, the setups too, because the scores are a little lower. Uh, a lot of times, the courses are you know courses that we've played regular PGA Tour events on, like Riviera or this course, um, you know, Whistling Straits would be one that we didn't really play tour events on. But, you know, half the time it's on golf courses that the guys know a little bit. So it is it is a lot like uh, a tour event in that respect. And, you know, the setups are pretty fair with the PGA. So the, the scores are going to be lower. And I think it brings more pros into the mix uh, during during the week of the PGA. And it looks like they're gonna they're gonna move the PGA, you know, to May in 2019 when it's played up at Beth Page Black, and the Players Championship's gonna move get moved earlier into March. So they seem to be doing it so the PGA Tour can end its season by Labor Day and doesn't have the you know the uh, the shadow of college football on Saturdays and the NFL on Sundays, you know, later in the year. Do you think that's the right thing right thing to do? Is that the right thing for the PGA Tour to do yeah, to move I those think, around? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I don't think you're going to see guys wearing as many shorts in May up in New York, though, next year for the <laughs> tournament. Uh, they may have short rain shorts on, but it's going to be some different weather. You know, we played some tournaments up north in May that, you know, you you have to go get some new wardrobe at night. You know, you got to get fleece and different things because you weren't prepared for, you know, what you come up against there. So it's it could be some... You know, it could be beautiful weather, but then they may, you know, catch some days that are in, you know, 50s or maybe maybe even really chilly mornings. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think it's a good move over, overall to to bring the tournaments closer together. I think most of the pros' reactions so far have been pretty positive. And Donnie, one of, one of our our new good friends here on the show is actor turned uh, turned host of the Talking Golf Getaways podcast, Mitchell Lawrence, and he said he's played some rounds of golf with you. First of all, wanted me to say hello to you for him. But do you remember playing oh, yeah. uh, playing a couple rounds yeah. of golf with Mitchell? Yeah, Mitch is one. Of, he was the most one of the most entertaining guys I ever played with. He was a blast to play with. Um, really funny and you know great entertainer. Uh, yeah, I remember Mitch well. That's great. He's going to be on your yeah. show a lot, huh? Yeah, Mitch is. You know, Mitch came on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know his brother Matthew has been on uh, a few times, and we got Matt coming on the show here in a, again in a couple of weeks. But yeah, Mitchell will be joining us again. He's fantastic. Both the Mitchell or both the Lawrence brothers are fantastic. I, I, I think the world of both of those guys, and they've both become great friends. So Mitchell asked me to be sure to pass along his hello to you. 
Honey, one more before we let you go. And, you know, one of the other things that you and I have in common is our affection for NASA and space exploration. We got a, a lunar eclipse coming up here in a few weeks. You having a viewing party? What are you doing on the 21st? Well, my daughter's got me. If I don't make that qualifier, we're going to try to go up towards South Carolina. I think it's going to be right near Charleston. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to try to hit that. Uh, it's going to be, it's not hard for me to tell which way I'm going to be coming from the north or from the south, but we're, we're, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Should be pretty cool. I don't have the glasses yet, though. I guess it should be pretty easy to pick those up somewhere, but, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to hit that. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting event. Uh, yeah, right up you know, here in Atlanta, so it's not far to get to Charleston either. So, yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting event. I'm looking forward to it as well. Donnie, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with uh, the, the, you know, the great things you're doing, follow you out on tour, follow you online, follow you on social media. Yeah, mostly Twitter, just at Donnie Hammond, D-O-N-N-I-E. And, yeah, I do a little golf stuff, but um, that's probably a good thing. Just send me a note, wish me well. Maybe I'll post something up if I make it this week on Tuesday. I'll, I'll take a picture of the leaderboard and say, no playoff, all right. <laughs> Please Hopefully do. No I hope you will put week. it out there because yeah. you know I'm certainly going to be following you and when you're rooting hard for you. So we hope you make it. Thank you. Yeah, I got to get in one of those weeks. See how I match up these days with those guys. They can still play though. Those guys are tough no out there. No doubt. Well, Donnie, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's always a great time having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and and share your insights and your stories, and hopefully you've got a couple of really good ones from uh, some strong finishes out on the Champions Tour here real soon. (laughs) That sounds great, Chris. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Donnie. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. That is Donnie Hammond, and, and folks, you know, I, I, you know, a more enjoyable conversation you cannot find in getting to spend some time with Donnie Hammond, and you know, the great events that he has been a part of over the course of you know his career, and then uh, you know, certainly rooting very hard for him, you know, to uh, to get back on the top of tops of leaderboards, uh, you know, out there on the Champions Tour, and hopefully get get some more stories and some more insights from him. But you look back over his career and. You know, he was right there, uh, you know, a lot of times, right in some major championships going into the, into the fourth round. And we've talked several times about, you know, his being in the, in the next to last group at the 86 Masters, a couple of groups behind, uh, Jack Nicholas and Sandy Lyle when Jack went on his run. So, you know, Donnie was there then. And like I say, he's got, you know, several top twenties, top tens, top fives and some of the majors. So, uh, he's got a, a wonderful history in the game. And then now getting back, hopefully healthy again and, and, uh, feeling good and uh, out on the champions tour. So rooting very hard for Donnie Hammond. 